Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What is the real history of Mothman? Does Mothman or one of his cronies still turn up from time to time? What really happened to Bandit the Dog? Hello and welcome to the 718th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on Owen 1240 Radio, celebrating 70 years of broadcasting here in New England's Blackstone River Valley. I'm Ben, and those moth-eaten questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, and father, Paul. And today we welcome an old friend with a little-known take on a well-known subject, and uh, we welcome your calls. The numbers are uh, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the country. And uh, locally, that's 766-1240. Canada. Uh, Don't forget Canada. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Canada. So you can, if you're from Canada, 800-449-1240. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's paul at behindtheparanormal.com for those. Susan Shepard is a lifelong paranormal investigator, researcher, and psychic experiencer. Her West Virginia childhood was marked by a wide range of unusual experiences, such as growing up near one of the first Mothman sightings, encounters with the men in black, sensing ghosts and other weird critters since she was a wee lass. Susan is a well-known psychic medium, an astrologer, an artist, and a widely published author and poet. Founder of the widely acclaimed Haunted Parkersburg Ghost Tour, Susan has special expertise when it comes to Mothman, and that um, that will be our subject uh, today as we begin. Uh, we have a link to Susan's Amazon.com author page on the Talking Points page for this show at BehindTheParanormal.com, and her website is HauntedParkersburgTours.com. And if I may mention, we haven't used the... Uh, Talking Points page in a while, but we are using it for today's show. Uh, there's a link to it on the left of, of, on all the pages in the Behind the Paranormal site. And there are several very interesting photos that we will discuss later, uh, along with, as I say, that link to Susan's uh, Amazon.com page. So, um, so Susan Shepard, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thank you. This is fabulous. It's always a great honor to be on your show and, and uh, share some of my experiences with West Virginia Mothman and... Uh, the little bit I know about it, which um, actually is quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we think, well, you know, we were, we were uh, Ben's going to start the questions, but we were uh, absolutely fascinated as we went through our old interviews with you, and it's been far too long since you've been on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, as you know, cause, because you uh, helped us with the book and your, your pictures in there and uh, a bio of you as one of the uh-huh. great monster hunters, uh, we, we had uh, some fascinating material from that. And we'd like to get into some of that again today because it's been a lot of years since we did that. And what, one more personal comment, if I may, regarding ghost tours, okay? Mm-hmm. Now... Ben, Ben was a oh my gosh, he was what? You were like ten. Or, I was like eight or nine, maybe ten. Yeah, when you know, we went down uh, at Susan's invitation to speak at the West Virginia Paranormal Conference in '03, and I always thought that, uh, which was a great event by the way. Bud Hopkins was there as one of the last events he did. I've always thought that ghost walks were dumb. Okay. But you put me on the spot over there in the middle, uh, on the middle of that island, the Blennerhassett State Park in the Ohio River, and you turned around. There were a couple hundred people there and said, Paul's going to be our fearless leader tonight. And I said, huh, what? Nobody said. But I had the time of my life. It was so much fun, and you organized things so well. I just would say that by way of recommending um, one of your tours. I think I've heard a lot of good things. Anyway, let's get to our questions. 
Alrighty, Susan. So let's uh, start at the beginning because that is a very good place to start. So let's explain the Mothman. Mary Poppins. Yes, exactly. Right. You, you you caught it. <laughs> so let's explain the Mothman phenomena as we go. So for anyone in the audience who might not know what it is, uh, so when and where did the sightings begin, and uh, what was the very first sighting you know of, and what did they see? Well, personally, uh, I believe it was on November 14, uh, 1966, um, there was a sighting in Doddridge County, where I am from, which is about 100 miles uh, as the crow flies from Point Pleasant, uh, involving a man by the name of Merle Partridge. And this particular sighting had to do with the red eyes in the barn. And Mr. Partridge had a very unusual way of describing those red eyes to me. Um, they were quite different than what John Keel had in his book, uh, The Mothman Prophecies. And he had an encounter about one hour or so before the Scarberry sighting in Point Pleasant, uh, and there's reasons that those two um, those two sightings were connected, and I wouldn't go into that later. There was a couple other sightings, I think, earlier, but I don't think any reports. Uh, the Scarberry sighting was truly the first report of the Mothman, uh, and that was on November uh, 14, 1960. 1966, I believe it was 14th or 15th, I'm sorry. I think it was that, the 15th. That kind of has escaped yeah. me. But, um, yeah, it was on the same night, and um, I happened to be a small child, uh, and I lived uh, just a couple of hills away from the uh, the Partridge uh, family. That <laughs> sounds funny to say, <laughs> Partridge family. <laughs> and I remember my sister coming home from school talking about um, Paula Partridge's dad having seen these uh, red eyes in the barn. And uh, that was before the Mothman even had a name. So it yep. was quite, and it's something my, um, of course, my childish imagination uh, grabbed onto, something I never forgot. I think some people, you know, it, it seems like, um, let's see, yeah, it was on November, November 16th, 1966, I'm sorry, November 15th, I'm sorry, on 1966. I just checked that <laughs> mm-hmm. to make sure I was right. But um, but th- that was before the Mothman actually had a name at all. I mean, I remember them uh, referring to, to the Mothman as the bird, you know, the big bird, yeah. they said right at first. So. Okay. Now, um, oh, go ahead, Benny. You have one more question. Oh, yes. Um, so... It's interesting that you said before before Mothman had a name. Do we do we know it's the same creature that was that was seen you know later on at the uh, well, TNT area? Well, it's always there were some variations in uh, the description of the Mothman. He was uh, some some people described him as being flesh colored, and some people uh, described him as being tan. But the uh, the most um, common uh, description of the Mothman as being a pale gray. With a humanoid-like appearance, about over six, between six and seven feet tall, with a wingspan of about ten, ten feet, they would say. He didn't really have much of a head. They said that the eyes were actually lodged into the upper torso of the creature, but other than that, it looked like a man. And uh, they described the wings as being leathery, like bat wings. A few witnesses described them as having feathers or something like that. But the most typical uh, description of the Mothman would be a, a pale gray, uh, humanoid-like creature with a bat-like uh, wings. Now, Susan, I have in my hot little hands a book 
called Haunted Valley by Professor James Gay Jones, a historian, published in the 70s. Uh, he mentions, him. yeah, the, yeah, the curse of Chief, I'm holding it up here to the, those mm-hmm. who can see it in the, uh, video feed. I'll, I'll t- I'll take that would be good. Uh, I don't think he's still with us, but it's not going to hurt his book sales. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt it because he was, uh, he was older at that time. I see. <laughs> He mentions the curse of Chief Cornstock, which we can talk about, and sightings throughout the early 20th century of a, quote, bird with the head of a man and a wing spread of at least a dozen feet, unquote. Now, this figure was seen before a tragic event would occur in Point Pleasant, according to him, and he mentions five counties where he, and you already mentioned Doddridge and, and Mason and all, uh, where he, she, or it was seen before unfortunate events, and among these unfortunate events were World War One and World War Two. Pretty unfortunate, and people even remembered um, being chased by it on highways that early. So, what say you? Uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with this. And um, I did read that book. Yeah. Um, I read that particular book, but I don't know of any other 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 sources to those stories. Okay. I mean, with the the uh, the 1966 going into 1967, there were multiple multiple sightings of the Mothman, and I think there was there were some, you know, earlier. I think over uh, around Summersville, West Virginia as well. And we also had uh, something uh, similar to the Mothman back in 1987 uh, here in Parkersburg. I, I don't know if I've talked to you since I don't I've, think uh, so. What was that about? Uh, well, it was uh, a case, uh, 1987. Um, there was a young couple going um, driving up on Quincy Hill here in Parkersburg um, during the Civil War. It was called Prospect Hill. Actually, the Dead Files did an a entire episode on Quincy Hill, but it was the hauntings on Quincy Hill. Hmm. But there was a young couple in high school um, that were driving up on Quincy Hill. It's the highest elevation in Parkersburg. Overlooks the Ohio River. Um, and as they got to the top of the hill, this wing went over the windshield of their car. And when that wing was withdrawn... They saw from behind, she said it looked like, the woman told me, it looked like an insect-like creature. It was about six and a half feet tall. She said the knees were on backwards, like, you know, like most insects or a dog. It kind of shuffled across Quincy Street. She never saw any, she didn't see it from the front, so she didn't see any red eyes. She'd never heard of the Mothman because she was, uh, you know, she wasn't born around the time of the Mothman. They were very frightened over this. And the, the, the creature kind of just went out of, you know, went into the darkness or into the bushes. She went home and she told her parents and they said, well, that sounded, you know, very similar um, to the description of the Mothman from 1966 going into 1967. The thing that really caught my attention was uh, she said something that is not often uh, referred to in descriptions of the Mothman, and that is he had a shuffling gait as if he was not used to walking on his feet. And she said almost that exact, she described him almost that exact same way as some of the witnesses from 1966 and 1967 described the Mothman. And, mm. But I, as I said... Uh, she did not see any red eyes, but she saw the creature from behind, and it did have a pair of bat-like wings. Uh, but it seemed to her to, to her to have more of an insect-like appearance. 
I think one thing that gets in the way of research, maybe you'll agree, Susan, is the the names we give these things. Uh, oh, absolutely. <clears throat> many of the descriptions of the Mothman in the Ohio Valley match descriptions of, say, the so-called bat squatch that was first seen in Tacoma, Washington, with the leathery right. wings, bat-like wings, uh, the size, uh, ma- very man-like kind of a presence. And uh, also... the Two things that maybe you could see if, if this matches with any of the descriptions of Mothman experiences you've heard. Two things. One is the, the uh, what, what might be an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, turning off motor vehicles uh, before the sighting occurs. And then when the sighting does occur, <clears throat> you have um, a creature that does not entirely seem comfortable in our environment. Okay, right. or uh, And or the, the person in the vehicle feels out of place or, or, or feels very strange or is all, you know, conditions just aren't the same as what they're used to. And this suggests to us, and you know our theories, that maybe in flap areas like this you've got different worlds crossing each other, overlapping, overwashing with different rule laws of physics, and um, creatures like the Mothman maybe not be from here, so to speak, and the gravity may be different. Or something else may be different. The, the stimuli they, they receive physically could be different. What say you about all that? Are there any examples of uh, that you know of in the, the Mothman, um, the main sighting sighting period of sixty six, sixty seven, which might match an EMP problem or uh, a well, gravity? Well, I can talk about that. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I can go talk ahead. about that in some some of the in- interviews I did with Merle Partridge's family. And also an incident that happened to my grandfather. As you know, there was lots of, there was over a hundred, uh, UFO sightings in the same year. Mm. And that would have been probably, you know, he died in February of 1967. My grandfather did. So it would have been around the time of the Mothman that he was, he worked for the B&O Railroad. And, uh, he was out checking signal, signal lights in Ritchie County, West Virginia, which is, not too far from Doddridge County. Would, would have been a little bit closer, though, to Point Pleasant. And uh, he was out checking signal lights on a country road when this ball of light just kind of rolled across his truck. All the power went out in his truck. It ran down into a field. He just lost all of his power, ran down into a field. And he sat there as he watched that ball of light just go out of sight. And as soon as that ball of light was out of sight, the power came back on in his truck. Hmm. The other strange thing, um, talking about the Mothman and, and, you know, electrical power or pulses or, you know, um, that sort of thing that you, you described, what really fascinates me and one thing that my mind is latched onto, because I did talk to and interview Merle Partridge, oh, it was probably 2007, 2008 at the Mothman Festival. I hadn't seen him in years. Um, and he told me that the Mothman's eyes looked to him like red electrical lights. Ah. He said red. He said red lights, red eyes, whatever you want to call them. Linda Scarberry, on the same night as they were coming down Route Two toward the city limits of Point Pleasant, glanced over into a field and thought that she was looking at red lights. You know, like on a billboard. And when that billboard was caught into the, you know, the beams of the Scarberry's car, she saw that the Mothman was actually perched on a billboard, and what she thought to be red electrical lights 
were the Mothman's eyes. So you have supposedly what seems to be a flesh and blood creature with eyes that look electrical, which is very puzzling. It is um, internal light, and, and this this comes up uh, in one of our old interviews with you, and we put it in the book oh, behind okay. the paranormal too. And um, the, the idea that, that there was some speculation, or is some speculation by a few, that uh, Mothman and creatures like this, at least some of them, may be artificial or mechanical. Right. And yeah, exactly. When you get back to uh, one of the monsters you never heard of in our title, you get to the uh, the Van Meter Visitor from Ohio, very little known, but this thing for a period of three days pretty much terrorized the town. Everybody in the town saw it because it wasn't a very big town, but it would land in a building on Main Street and it had a, a, a horn or something that would, would emit this brilliant light. Now, that doesn't sound natural, at least not in our world. No. So if you have <laughs> internal light, that's, uh, as you say, very puzzling. Let's say you, Ben. I think... Um I've I've I delved into a tiny rabbit hole while you guys were talking about the van meter visitor because it's interesting that you brought up how there's sort how you know vehicles tend to stop all like ele- mm. electronics tend to you know disappear and I, I that got me thinking um, you know about electromagnetism and, and its relation to um, you know gravity gravity and all that you know the four elemental and elemental forces of you know what what govern governs our, our universe and you know Newtonian physics. So I think it's it's interesting that I, I always forget about that. That's that's like one detail that you know if people are like oh well you know everything shuts off and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I think that that's a very important detail not to overlook, but definitely something that should be investigated more. That's why I wish I was more of a practical physicist rather than you know just having a degree in audio engineering. Yeah. But I find it fascinating that especially in areas of you know the Rome trough and all, and all of that. Yes, uh, I wanted to get into that too. As soon as we talk about a few more of the, of the details. oh sure, so we'll we'll, we'll put that aside. Yeah. But you are with your skills, you are very handy as a producer, certainly. Why, well, thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Susan, uh, I think we should point out to the audience too that it wasn't just the Mothman uh, phenomena occurring, which hundreds of people reported, I believe, including correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, law- doctors, lawyers, and big cheeses, and all this sort of thing, right. and. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, reported throughout the throughout five counties at least and all this sort of thing, uh, but also that there were um, uh, UFOs, uh, psychic events going on, uh, ghosts, uh, poltergeist, and, and things happened in your yeah. own house when you were little. Can you tell us about that? Right. Yeah, we had, we had a lot of poltergeist activity, and when I was talking to Mary Partridge um, oh, about 10 years ago and her dad, they also had tremendous poltergeist activity in their home at the time they were, you know, they were having all these, these, these things happening. Uh, the red eyes in the barn, uh, or the lights, um, you know, that was a one-time thing, um, with the Mothman, you know, that was the only thing. He had, Mr. Partridge had many, many encounters after that. I don't know if we ever got into it, but, um, he told me several really interesting stories. Um, one thing he said was the following spring, uh, after the Mothman, uh, he was sitting out on his deck. It was a warm day, and he said a, a spacecraft went over, and he said he described it very similar as Woodrow Durenberger, and that was a charcoal gray with no lights, except Mr. Partridge saw it during the day, and he, he said it was so large that it blacked out most of the sky, 
you have to remember West Virginia hills are very steep, so mm. you know it was probably down in a, a valley of some sort. Uh, he also had, I don't know if I told you this story, um, that was also the following spring, about 10 o'clock at night, he heard a knock on his door, and there was a middle-aged man there, and he said, uh, I just, you know, I just wrecked my Jeep into a ditch, but that's not what I'm worried about. He said, uh, I can't find my son. He said he was driving down this country road, again, where this, this thing sort of, you know, blocked out the windshield. Something flew over and blocked out, like, his, you know, the, the windshield, what he could see. It was very late at night, and uh, he ran into the ditch, and he looked over, and his six-year-old son was missing. Ooh. So, uh, Mr. Partridge, uh, they went out looking for the young boy with a flashlight. They weren't able to find him. They called the police at Salem, West Virginia. Took him about maybe 15 minutes or so to get there. By this time, a half hour or so had passed. They go out looking for the young boy. And in the opposite direction of where they, the Jeep was, in an opposite direction came this little boy walking down the road as if he was in a trance or like he was sleepwalking. And he didn't remember what had happened for that entire hour that he was missing. So, you know, they got the little boy, you know, back to his dad, and and Mr. Partridge really didn't know what had ever happened to this young man until many years later a middle-aged man came to his door, knocked on the door, and said, uh, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm that little boy that was lost that night. He said, even to this day, I don't remember what happened in that hour I was missing. So Mr. Partridge had many, many strange experiences. I wow. mean, they did not end with just the red eyes in the barn. He had other yeah, yeah. tremendous uh, experiences that he told me about. Uh, Very common, yeah. Right. So... Uh, what about Bandit the dog? Can you tell us about Bandit the dog? Well, that, that's the thing that connects the two stories. Uh, the Point Pleasant with the, what they call in uh, John Keel's book, the Center, or Salem. It was actually a community called Center Point, which was close to Salem, but it was out in the country. It was a very small farming community out in the country. And um, that was when, you know, Mr. Partridge was sitting with his young son, Roger, and, um, listening and they heard their 75 pound german shepherd dog barking in a very unusual way it didn't sound it wasn't that he was barking at something quite um, frantically and they decided to go out and investigate uh what bandit their dog's name was bandit was uh, barking at and they looked about a football field away where the barn was and they could see bandit was you know was kind of paused at the doorway to the barn barking and that's when mr partridge walks up to the barn with roger with their flashlights and uh, they look inside and mr partridge sees this form kind of lumber up from the floor of the barn and then he sees what he describes as these red eyes or red lights bandit uh snarls runs into the barn uh, they had kind of been, they were sort of paralyzed or frozen with fear. It would have been, I guess, a few seconds. It wouldn't have been minutes. And they ran back into the house and sat down, and Bandit stopped barking. And the next day, Bandit did not come, you know, for his breakfast, as he often did, the back door. And they remember the last place they had seen uh, Bandit was he was running into the barn. 
So Mr. Partridge and all the children went out to the barn, you know, searching for the dog, and they discovered his paw prints in the dirt, like the dog had been running around in a circle, and the circle didn't lead away as if the dog had been picked up and lifted away or carried away by something much larger, something much stronger. Mary Partridge uh, then saw these huge tracks in the dirt floor of the barn, so they looked like uh, enormous turkey tracks. They never saw Bandit again. He never returned home. A few days later, uh, Mr. Partridge was reading the newspaper and saw an AP article about the, the uh, Scarberry sighting in Point Pleasant. And as they were driving down, you know, the, the Mothman was chasing them down Route 2, Linda Scarberry glanced over at the city limits sign of Point Pleasant and saw the dead body of a German Shepherd dog lying beside the road. So Mr. Partridge then, I believe he called, he either called the outlet for the newspaper or he called Mary Heyer in Point Pleasant and told them about his experience, and that's how he ended up in the book, The Mothman Prophecies, that he thought since they had seen these red eyes like he'd seen and, you know, the the Scarberries, um, you know, uh, saw this dog lying uh, beside the road, he connected the stories in that way. We're going to have to stop you there because we have to take our our break. But uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Uh, 70 years on the air here in this uh, lovely place. And we'll be right back with our tremendously interesting guest, Susan Shepard. Stick with us. Hey there, I'm Dave Koz, inviting you to listen this weekend to the Dave Koz Radio Show when guitarist Chris Standring comes by our studios for a visit. He's got brand new music to share with us. It's going to be a blast. Remember, visit DaveKoz.com during the week and be here this weekend for the Dave Koz Radio Show. Fans of smooth jazz, catch the Dave Koz Radio Show only on ON1240, WON, Woonsocket Radio, every Sunday, twice on Sundays, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. The Dave Koz Radio Show is sponsored by the Carew Investment Group, 68 Cumberland Street, Plaza Center in Woonsocket. It's the Dave Koz Radio Show right here on Owen Radio. And welcome back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on ON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with uh, Susan Shepard. Or we are right back with Susan Shepard. Just wanted to mention several of the charities we have adopted on the show. Uh, we will mention those during the announcement period, but please check them out at BehindTheParanormal.com or our, our other site, NewEnglandGhosts.com. Uh, right at the bottom there are some links to some great charities uh, that we uh, have checked out, and uh, they're very, very legitimate, and the money goes to those it's meant to go to. So, Susan, let's get back to this poor dog. Uh, did anyone ever prove that this was the body of Bandit? No, it was never proven, but, um, you know, the conclusions were drawn yes they do seem to be related though I mean, seemingly uh, yeah 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 definitely okay. related um because you know i mean uh, as I, I guess it took the mothman maybe less than an hour to get to point pleasant because it was on the same night yeah, yeah. Um, now that the uh incident uh, of the dog's body being seen was just <clears throat> a small part of the uh was it the scarberries and the mullets two couples who'd been out right uh, very late on a, on a weeknight, which is odd, out of the uh, so-called TNT area, which you can explain. And uh, what happened to them on the way back into there and on the way, on the way back into town? 
Oh, goodness. You know, of course, the TNT plant is where they were in a lover's lane, which is was odd because they were a married couple. <laughs> I think they were out uh, taking a night nightly drive for some reason, but they decided to drive down that way. And, of course, uh, they came upon this uh, creature standing in the middle of the road with his back turned toward them. Uh, and uh, he, he, his wings un- unfolded, but he turned to look at them, and that's where they saw the red eyes or the red lights. The Mothman, and when he went up in the air, he did not even flap his wings. They said he went straight up, almost like a helicopter. And, of course, they were terrified when they saw this, so they went out to Route route 2. They went back out to Route 2, which went south toward Point Pleasant, uh, probably about maybe 10 miles or so. And uh, the Mothman, of course, chased them the entire way, or most of the way. I think about the city limits. They thought they had lost them. They said that the Mothman's wings were so huge, as he flapped his wings over the, the car, the wings hit the side door of the car, and they drove immediately to the Point Pleasant Police Station. They made their report, and that's where uh, Roger Scarberry uh, did the famous drawing of the Mothman that you often see on websites. Uh, the police went out, out, you know, went out to inspect the car. And on the side door of the side doors of the car were these large scratches, and they said Roger Scarberry was very particular about his car, so large scratches is something he would have noticed. Um, then uh, Linda Scarberry said, you know, they made the report and they were extremely frightened. Uh, they went back home that evening. It probably would have been by that time, maybe twelve or one o'clock in the morning, and she said that it followed them back home. And it looked in the windows at her all night long. And she said, even to this day, of course, she's since passed away. Most of the witnesses have passed away. I don't know if there's really even any left um, of the, you know, 1966-67 sightings of the Mothman. Uh, Even to this day, she said she was afraid to look out the windows after dark. She was frightened. Which is interesting. I mean, everybody had a feeling of, of dread with the Mothman. The same way they did with Andrew Cold um, and also the Men in Black, there was just a menacing quality to all of them. Now it's interesting that you that you mention people's you know experiences of, of fear and whatnot, but we have heard positive experiences of of Mothman, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking of um, uh, yeah, Andy, Andy Colvin, <clears throat> who several of them. Oh, okay, yeah. who who had who had a run in with Mothman, and then all of a sudden could was it was you know incredibly good at math, amazing artist, and you know he attributes all of it to Mothman. So how mm-hmm. how do you feel about people who say they have positive Mothman experiences? Are they just, what? you know, in denial or... <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, after I think about that, I, I guess when you would encounter anything that would be unknown like that, you're going to be frightened over extremely frightened over it. I mean, you know, other than Bandit, and unless the dog, it wasn't him, but, in uh, you know, Bandit would be maybe, the, you know, the Mothman's only, only victim... Mm. Uh, perhaps he dropped him. I don't know. We're <laughs> you know, him along. Yes, really. But uh, yeah, I mean that's that's very possible. Um, you know, I I was never particularly, you know, that frightened of encountering the Mothman myself. Like I said, you know, when the partridges were, you know, having their sighting that winter, uh, we lived up on the highest hill in, in in West Union. It was very close to the partridges. And we would hear something walking on our roof at night. And I was very small. Uh, and that, like, 
continued throughout that entire winter. Actually, to tell you the truth, it went on up until about 1970. Hmm. Uh, to be honest, I can remember listening to that and just hearing the strange. It almost sounded like somebody dropped out of a helicopter onto our roof. It would pause. It would pause for a little while, maybe a, a couple of minutes, and then it would start to walk, and it sounded just like a man walking on our roof. Another weird thing was the house we moved into. That wasn't the only time something was heard walking up the walls and on our roof. It, you know, we heard later that in the 1950s there had been a girl babysitting the family that li- lived there previously to my fam- you know, to my family. She heard something walking up the side of the wall and then walking on the roof. She called the police. They came over and they checked and there were these muddy footprints going up the side of the wall of our ha- our house. Hmm. So, you know, if, if it was the Mothman, that would have been something back in the 50s. But what what sort of footprints? Before we moved in there. What, what, what sort of footprints? Were they the, the turkey-like I things? Never, the... you know, see, I was so small at that time. Oh, okay. You know, I was only like six years old. So, um, so uh, it would, you know, it, it, I don't know. That was just a story, you know, given to my family, that there were muddy footprints going up. So it wasn't you sleepwalking. So, but you know, my mind just grabbed onto all of this stuff. It just—I mean, I—I I was fascinated. But yeah, it was a woman that uh, it was—it was, it was a, a friend of my mother's who had been the babysitter back in the 1950s in that house. Okay. Now, Susan, uh, this hour is going by far too quickly. Uh, we want to give you a chance before we burn it up of talking about your website, uh, your, mm-hmm. the tours, your books, etc. Please go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, you can go to Hannah. Well, it, it's Hannah uh, Parkersburgtours dot com has the uh, information on my ghost tour because that's another interest of mine. And of course, I've got a new uh, deck out, an oracle called the Black Moon Astrology Cards. They're all over the world. They're everywhere. They're in Australia, uh, New Zealand, New Zealand, and uh, they've been picked up by Amazon, and they're being the you know the distributor. For the cards are uh, Llewellyn Publications, so I'm seeing them. I'm, they're like on 50 websites now, mm-hmm. and they've only been out about a month. So oh, wow. I mean, some of them aren't even available until January in the United States. Congratulations! But that's my newest book. Though. Well, we have a big listenership in Australia, so you're in luck. Oh, great, great, great! Uh, you know, I really do need to write. I have something coming out in Nick Redfern's new book uh-huh. on the Men in Black. Mm-hmm. I, I because I really felt like this, you know. It's historical, so it needed to be written down. So I was able to write all these memories and things down for him, and he was really grateful to get them. It's about a 10,000-word uh, article. It's going to be out in his new book on the men in black. It's another book on the men in black, and it's going to have some things about the you know the Partridge experiences. Uh, Andrew Cold as well, that, yeah. that part of the story as well, some other stories on the men in black that are very interesting. I think people will find it fascinating. Okay, cool. Nick is great. Um, yeah. Getting back to the idea of, well, perhaps people have seen the Mothman prophecies, the, John Keel's book, which was really good, I thought, and then mm-hmm. the film that was made from it, No. 2, which bore, in my opinion, little resemblance to the book. However, um, my understanding is that many of the phenomena reported in the book, such as the loud electronic sounds coming out of the phones, uh, strange things happening uh, with... 
electronics in other ways. Uh, the um, experience of uh, well, the the character in in the film is uh, um, uh, what's John it? Klein. Well, John Klein, yeah, who apparently is played by Richard. I have to tell you that that was so extremely accurate because I had those experiences myself on my phone. I mean, it's too it's too long to go into, but we even had experiences like that with our phones at Point Pleasant. Uh, We were sitting with Rosemary Ellen Guiley when it happened, and uh, you know I've had different experiences with the Men in Black as a small child. And then as an adult, you know, and I've covered that for Nick Redburn's new book, um, I believe, uh, but that, that was very accurate and very true. Huh. It was, it was eerie, it was eerie, it was so accurate. Did you say you were with Rosemary Ellen Guiley when? Well, we happened? were having the phone calls. No we kidding. Were having the, yeah. Well, we're gonna, we were I'm gonna have some words with her. She's one of our co-hosts and, and she <laughs> never told us that. Yeah. Well, we were sitting with Rosemary having, well, I don't know if she, I ever followed up with this. We were having a dinner with Rosemary. I was sitting with uh, my friend, uh, Virginia Lyons. She'd gotten a new cell phone. And um, anyway, we kept getting, she kept getting a call over and over again. And when she, she it was a new cell phone. And the number, the callback number was 1111111. It was all ones. And we laughed. And we said, maybe it's Indrid Cold. When she got home, she played back her messages because she didn't know how to play them. And she got this eerie, hissing voice that said, hi, just like that. And I had been getting those exact same phone calls. And when I, you know, I did the callback number, it was a Point Pleasant number. I had gotten the call even before Virginia did you know, at another time. And uh, I did the callback number. You know, somebody called and said, hi, like that to me. And I thought it was some prank or something. So I did the callback number. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was a Point Pleasant number. And I only know two people in Point Pleasant really well. And that would be Jeff Walmsley and my, my uh, brother-in-law's sister down there. Mm-hmm. It's the only two people I really know in Point Pleasant. And so I decided I would call. I would decide I would call the number, even though it was two o'clock in the morning, and it came on the number had been disconnected. There, <laughs> but they had just called me a, a minute before, and I had been getting these calls. And Virginia's cell phone was brand new. So you're talking so. about cell phones and answering machines. So we're going way beyond 1966, 67. Exactly. That was just that was just a couple of years ago. No, I, I was but just I, I'd had an experience with uh, yeah. a man in black called Billy, uh, and that's going to be covered in Nick Redfern's book. It's a long, drawn out story. But I had a guy kind of stalking me, and uh, he he bore a strange resemblance to Indrid Cold, the long dark coat, hmm. the hair slicked straight back. The almond-shaped eyes, um, the nonsensical kind of childlike way of speaking, uh, talking to me about things that later happened. It's a long story, but it's a very interesting one. So hmm. well, it wasn't just some nutball, then. It was somebody who, you know, would be <laughs> well, considered one of the men in the black from... It was pretty much a description. And the funny thing about that was that was... That was uh, 35 years after um, the Mothman sighting. So it would have been about 15 years ago this happened with Billy. And um, he said he was 35 years old. He told me that he was born in November, 
1966. It was very odd. Hmm. It took a long time for me to even put two and two together. So that's going to be a Nick Redford new book. Can't wait to see that. <laughs> well, you well know, he was grateful to get it. It's, it's a pretty amazing story. But, you know, I'd seen the Men in Black as a child, and that would have been on the hillside kind of connecting our home with the Partridge's home. Okay. I saw them as a small child. And men in Black being people who are mysterious, as you say, and show up when people have had experiences and tell them not to talk about it. Is that what happened to you? Well, they they didn't see it. Uh, my friend and I, Jeannie, we we saw them up on the hillside, measuring the hillside. Uh, it was the it was the PowerPoint for the, the power area for the town. They were measuring the hillside. They were dressed in black. They did not look like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> they did not look like them. They just had on black shirt, black pants. One looked Asian. One looked Caucasian. My friend Jeannie and I we watched them for a while. They didn't see us, and we ran away. And it wasn't, you know, years later that I read on them and realized this is what I'd seen. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty amazing. But when they were measuring the hillside, um, it probably wasn't. But a few weeks later, there was UFO sighting above our house, uh-huh. hovering above our house. These people on the church bus saw this UFO, and then there was an impression up on the hillside, a circular impression about maybe... 20 feet across, right up on the hillside. And when was that exactly? Would have been 1967. 67, okay. 67, the spring of 1967 is when that would have been. And, uh, well, one of the premises in the film, The Mothman Prophecies, is that uh, the implication, the strong implication was that Mothman was, as a matter of fact, it says at the end in one of the closing titles that Mothman was never seen in Point Pleasant again, which is not really the case. And Dr. Jones in his book talks about uh, the the uh, Birdman as a uh, precursor of disaster. So maybe that's where some of that idea came from. But obviously you're having experiences way beyond those years and even oh, yeah. continuing today. Uh, what say you? Well, probably the last with the Men in Black would be 2008 when my mother was ill uh, here in the hospital in Parkersburg. I was resting upstairs. Two Men in Black knocked on the door, asked if I, my sister was here, asked if I was here. My sister thought maybe they were Mormons or or Moody or something like that. And uh, they asked if I was home. She said no. Well, yes, I was home, but I was upstairs resting. I was tired. Our mother was sick. And they, they, <laughs> they said, well, I hope you all feel better. Tell Susan that we were here. They go down the steps. Hmm. They get into a black car, and they drive away. That's the last. It would have been about 2008. Now, what about other people's experiences up to the present day? Uh, is is Mothman still being seen in Point Pleasant? Well, not that I know. You know, not that I know of any credible ones. I know a lot of people make. Um, it's very hard to tell. You know, um, you know what people see, but not that I know of. I mean, I, there are some claims uh, of, of him being seen after 1970, but I don't know if any of those are what I would call credible, but I don't know. They might be credible. Mm. Um, the ones in, in Chicago, I'm not sure about those either. I don't know. What, what do you think of those? Well, uh, that's very interesting. We've heard a lot about that. As a matter of fact, we were able to squeeze a couple of stories from the uh, from April of last year, mm-hmm. actually April of this year, uh, into mm-hmm. the uh, book uh, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, mm-hmm. Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard Of. And... Uh, 
the, the uh, bat-like wings. Uh, right. The same kind of description comes up, and, and of course, lots of um, further descriptions have resulted from experiences and people in the Chicago area. One thing uh, Ben mentioned before, Susan, I want to get your thoughts on this, was the Rome Trough. That's a geological uh, area that extends essentially from uh, west central Pennsylvania all the way down into Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it is a, a center of the Bougier anomaly. And we just kind of stumbled on this last year. Uh, an area of low gravity or lower gravity. Uh, and that, mm-hmm. that's caused by weird combinations of geological and geotechnic makeup of, of the ground. And so like in an area where, where you live, you'd go down into a valley and you would actually essentially get lighter. And we, we looked at each other and said, aha, Gee, what did Einstein say about gravity? It bends space-time. So mm-hmm. it runs That's from central Pennsylvania. Um, I had some, uh, some information coming through in a channeling uh, thing that we, we did from, uh, you know, I'm descended from some of the Native American tribes of this region, uh, the Shawnee and the Delaware. And uh, they came through and said that this, the area of the High Valley, Valley was like a belt, and yeah. they called it the sacred belt is what they called it. Now, this is just me channeling or, you know, coming to me through a channeling-like session. But I thought that was kind of interesting, too, and they, they referred to it as the sacred belt. Yeah, area. and this is, we wonder if uh, a lot, it most of these like flat, a shape. Yeah, most of these flat areas are considered sacred by, by the indigenous peoples, wherever they may be in the world, and maybe the that's why. The other interesting thing is so many of these witnesses have Native American ancestry. Yeah. Um, the the partridges were Blackfoot Saponi, okay. uh, and of course I'm Shawnee. Yep. Mr. Durnberger was uh, Black Dutch. That means Shawnee mm-hmm. in West Virginia. So many of the witnesses have the Native American ancestry. It could be because we we often say that the paranormal experiences depend on what you bring to them. Indeed. Mm-hmm. You know. So there we are. Okay. Well, um, we got a few more minutes. Uh, Susan. Well, now, there's, there's another. Yeah. Speaking about the Native Americans, I had had a dream. A few years ago, uh, being lost in the woods and encountering uh, some Shawnee uh, Indians out in the woods, and they began to celebrate, and they began to sing, and they were so happy to see me, and it was an interesting dream. Hmm. A couple of days later, we went down to the, the festival. We took a, a teenager down to the TNT area. A lot of times we'll do that if we have kids with us to show, where, show them where the Mothman was sighted, and we got out of the car, and we could hear the Native Americans singing, you could hear them, and it scared the woman that we were with. She got, she sat back inside the, the car while the, the young man and I just sat there and we just listened to that singing until it just, it just eventually just faded away, but it went on probably maybe between two and four minutes. It was a while. We just listened mm-hmm. to the, the singing down that way. Certainly a thin place. Tell us about, and a lot of people are interested in this, tell us about Picket Fence Man. Oh, Picket Fence Man. On the ghost tour, we have gotten a couple of really interesting, uh, and it's too bad because of the cell phones, they're pixelated. You can't bring out much detail, but very near uh, a graveyard here in Parkersburg where uh, some of Stonewall Jackson's family are buried, his uh, sister's buried in there. Hmm. There are both uh, Confederate and uh, um Union soldiers buried in Riverview Cemetery, uh, and some black soldiers are buried in there. When we were leaving the cemetery, we were coming back down uh, Juliana Street, which is a historical district of Parkersburg. 
a woman from Fairmont was just randomly snapping pictures, and she captured this image that looks to be a young black Civil War soldier, very young, because he, I sort of looked at the, you know, where it, the picket fence hit him. Uh, it was right in front of a picket fence. Oh, it's a long story behind that. It's a very historical place. But um, it, it, the interesting thing is the young man is carrying like a carpet bag. and But uh, I sent it to a, a local historian, uh, an expert in the Civil War, uh, Underground Railroad, and, and uh, African-American people in the area. That was an African-American historian. And he totally agreed with me. He thought it was a, a, a young African-American soldier but Henry said the interesting thing was it looked like he was wearing a Confederate uniform. And I later there, there went There were some black Confederate soldiers. It might be yes, hard to oh, believe yes, if you yes, think. Yes, yes, There yeah. certainly were. Yeah. And uh, they, they shouldn't have been here, but Henry told me that a lot of times their clothing would wear, you know, wear, wear out or get ripped or something. They just pulled the clothes off a body and put the clothing on. No, so not always the safest thing. You don't know if it would have been Confederate or not. Yeah. But I found that exact same uniform online. It was definitely a Confederate uniform. Wow. It's an amazing picture. It is, and I'll point out again that uh, if you go to BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, there's a talking points pay list uh, on, on the uh, link, I should say, and that'll and hit the 2017 shows, and the only one on that page is this show, and it's got okay. those pictures out of that. Thank you, Susan, for sending those. Oh, so you you're can, welcome. Yeah. Uh, it was too bad. It was, it, the picture's about 10 years old. It's a very, you know, it's an old cell phone. It's very pixelated, so it's hard to bring out the detail. There is a bright, uh, there is a white thing in the picture, but that's just the lamp that's in the window okay. of the home is what that is. I don't know, but, you know, we check everything. There was Absolutely. nobody walking there at the time. That's Especially why you're, you're among the, the few <laughs> other investigators ahead, we would work with, you know, so... Our, Pardon me, say that again? No, I say uh, that, that is why you are among the few investigators we would work with. Oh. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Too bad we're uh, not we closer to it was, it's a, It was just a lamp. That, the white thing is kind of distracting. It's a lamp. Now, there's a cat in the picture, too. We don't know whether the cat was uh, there <laughs> or it's a spirit as well. There's a cat sitting there. No, but you can the see the carpet bag and everything. Okay. Neat. All right. Uh, ben, any uh, further questions before I ask Susan to sum up? No, I was I was going to ask you to sum up. So, what are you what are you working on next? You got any websites, new new books, new anything? Feel free to go off. Well, about you it. know, there's a, there's a, I, you know, I really need to write down the Mothman and Ender Cold memories and the Men in Black memories that yes. I have. Um, I'm kind of like trying to decide what I'm going to work on next. But I also work on poetry. Been working really hard on poetry. We have an awesome uh, historical place here in Parkersburg. It's, you know, quite haunted, and it's got some associations with. Um, Charles Dickens and Edgar Allan Poe and Washington Irving and a man who, who helped pass the Emancipation Pro- Proclamation and President Kennedy visited his house in 1960. So that might be a, a short little book about the hauntings of historical Parkersburg. We, we loved Parkersburg when you had us down there in '03, And, uh, you know, if you ask us back uh, to speak again, we're not going to argue with you. All right, that'd be great. That'd okay. be fantastic. Susan, wonderful conversation. Indeed. And we'll be in touch off the air as, as we usually are. And okay. uh, thanks for a great show. Oh, thank you. Okay. Okay, Ben, what do we got uh, coming up on the uh, schedule here? Alrighty, so uh, our first public appearance of 2018 is already scheduled uh, for Saturday, January 27th. It's a charity event at uh, Cottage by the Bay in Dover, New Hampshire, to benefit uh, the Miss Portsmouth Area Scholarship Program, and that's uh, 
5 to 8 p.m. The tickets are $20 per person, and uh, you will not only get us, but a nice buffet dinner as well. Uh, our subject will be Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. Uh, get tickets through uh, the link on our main page, BehindTheParanormal.com. Okay, now for a little shameless self-promotion. Uh, whether you honor the solstice, Hanukkah, Christmas, Festivus for the rest of us, or whatever... Gift-giving time is coming near, so please consider autographed copies of our books for that certain special but weird someone in your life. Uh, they're cheap and easy to wrap, and if you put them in a big, uh, funny-looking box, uh, people won't know it's a book, uh, and there you go, you'll be get, get your surprise in there. Uh, the following books are widely available, but if you order them online at either of our two websites, BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com, we'll be happy to autograph them for you. And the books include, as Ben will tell you, will tell you. They include our Behind the Paranormal series, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, published last year, available in stores and from online retailers. Uh, then there's uh, Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters uh, You've Never Heard of, currently available online uh, at uh, Amazon.com and for Amazon Kindle as well. And if you found today's show as fascinating as we did, uh, Susan Shepard has cited uh, profusely, and we have an entire chapter on Mothman in the book Ben just mentioned, uh, Behind the Paranormal 2, and uh, you'd be really well served to check that out or to give it to a friend, uh, and uh, some of these memories uh, that other people really have not mentioned very often uh, as far as the Mothman phenomena are concerned are in that chapter. So also available are books I wrote myself in Days of Yore, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, about my cases of the 1970s and 80s, along with Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, with a few more cases and a broad look at what the paranormal right really, really mean for our world and for us. Now, having nothing whatsoever to do with anything we've said so far is another book that would be of interest to our local audience, or if you were an unrepentant history buff, uh, Rhode Island, A Genial History, which I wrote with the late great historian and TV reporter Glenn Laxton, uh, dealing with some of the more bizarre characters and incidents in the long life of this very unique little state. Uh, the book is used in several Rhode Island school dis- districts, rather to my surprise. Those are all available at our online bookstore at BehindTheParanormal.com. And uh, just to round off, you can get uh, books that feature us or uh, any one of us, but that we didn't write as well on our online bookstore, and that uh, includes The World's Most Haunted House, The True Story of the Bridgeport Poltergeist on Lindley Street, and The Haunted House Diaries, The True Story of a Quiet Connecticut Home, or Town in the Center of a uh, Paranormal Mystery, both by William J. Hall. Okay, so shock your mother, fool your pets, and astonish Albert Einstein by visiting the online bookshop at BehindTheParanormal.com or NewEnglandGhosts.com. And that's not the only reason to visit those websites. You can also find out more about our show, many of the cases we've had over the years, our public appearances, and you'll find over 730 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio. So let us get to the quote. Okay, what about next week, though? Oh, well, next week uh, we have Marla Brooks, uh, Wiccan, who, for a look at Wicca, Wicked or Wonderful. Okay, well, we've got time for the quote. Uh, this is um, a quote about my least favorite month, which is ending, uh, which nevertheless contains my most favorite holiday, Thanksgiving. It's from 19th century English poet Thomas Hood. No fruits, no flowers, no leaves, no birds, November. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno, and thanks for joining us on a great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul 